Blog Talk Radio. You are now listening to CLNS Radio, your source for all things basketball. You cannot stop this guy. This guy is unbelievable right now, and with the way he's playing, he's played an outstanding brand of basketball. You're trying to tell me he's not the next best thing? What are you hearing? Man, all I know is this guy can fall, and if you can come out and play with him, you can play with anybody in the league. I want your opinion. Call into the show. Why don't you drive the rack? Seriously, why don't people drive the rack more often? Fed up with this cookie-cutter brand of basketball, not go out and hand check. What are you comparing? The guy's got grit. The guy's got moxie, and the guy's got heart. What more do you want? Broadcast through Blog Talk Radio and CLNS Radio. They gonna love me for my ambition. Welcome to the Hooper's Log. Here's your host, Simo Buck. They gonna love me for my ambition. Welcome on into episode 132 here on the Hooper's Log. Yes, episode 132 here on a hump day on Wednesday, May 4th, 2016. Yes, may the 4th be with you. All the nerdy jokes. I've heard it at work today. In fact, I'm doing my show in my car right outside of my work based upon the fact that I got out a little bit late and traffic up here in the Pacific Northwest is an absolute nightmare. Episode 132, my name is Simo Buckets here on CLNS Radio through the Sea Geek Studios. If you'd like to call in and talk about the show and talk about whatever happened last night in the NBA and obviously whatever happened on today in the NBA when it came to news off the court, please feel free to do so. The phone number is 323-642-1558 is the number. And last night in the NBA, we had two instant classics go on. But first, before we get to those instant classics, uh, one thing to get to before we really get into the uh, the, the games from last night, first of all, the condolences go to uh, Chris Bosh again, now officially out for the remainder of the postseason. His blood clot situation is still impacting him on a daily basis to the point where he he just needs to stay healthy, you know, and stay stay alive, really. Uh, it's really that impactful on his life. Do we know how, how threatening it is overall? No, but if the result can be death, then clearly the silly game we call basketball and the silly game that we call here – on the Hooper's log, it's uh, it's definitely not worth a life. And so for that, uh, we really hope Chris Bosh, Chris Bosh gets better and uh, he comes back to the NBA healthy and better than ever before. Uh, and really, this guy's been in the league long enough now. He's kind of on the tail end part of his career. Still a great player, obviously, averaging 19-7 and this year pretty much. Um, but for the most part, we want this guy to stay healthy and, and just live a long life. And, uh, and have a really good life after his career is over. That's really what we're all wishing for, and we hope him the best here on the Hooper's Log. Again, if you'd like to call in the phone number, it's 323-642-1558. Uh, Kevin Hart, get us started. All right, all right, all right. We're going to learn today. Before we get to the games, obviously last night, unbelievable, unbelievable basketball games. There's one game getting just started right now, just getting tipped off. Game two between the Atlanta Hawks and Cleveland Cavaliers in Cleveland. The Cleveland Cavaliers are going to try and go 6-0 and in the postseason and extend this series to a 2-0 lead before going back to Atlanta. That's the only game on tonight. We'll talk about that here in a little bit later on in the show. Uh, and also one more thing before we get started, Tim Donahue was on the radio today with Colin Coward. And for those of you that didn't, didn't catch on to his interview, first of all, 
I would put about 35% truth. I'd put about a third of your, of your truth sense serum into what he said. I wouldn't necessarily believe everything he said today. He said that 100% of NBA refs are gambling in the uh, NBA, not just on, I mean, not, not to say that they're all gambling on the NBA, but just gambling in general. And I would believe it about 30, 35%. Reason being is because this guy, uh, clearly he hasn't been in the NBA for almost 10 years now, uh, eh, about eight, eight, nine, seven years. He, he hasn't been in the league for a while. It's a lot of things have changed. Is he, is he intuitive knowing what's going on with these, uh, with these referees? He might. He might know a little bit about what's going on. He probably doesn't know everything that's going on, but uh, for the most part, of what we can tell, he's got a, he's got a, he's got a little bit of a pulse on what's going on in the NBA. And clearly, he's more of a degenerative gambler. He's a compulsive liar, in my opinion, from what it sounds like. Uh, but from when it knows what it's what he's when he knows what he knows what he sounds when he knows what he's saying, it's it's relatively you can't really just kind of knock it off and say he doesn't know what he's saying. So for that, uh, Tim Donahue was on the air today. Hearing his voice on the Colin Coward show was impactful. It was a, it was a moment where you sat back and you thought, all right, uh, this guy might be onto something on why the calls have gone the way they've gone in the NBA and why referees have been incorrect. They're, it almost sounds like they're being treated like they're just normal employees, like they just they just work to work, not like they work for the integrity of the game. That's not the way this should be approached if you're a referee look if if umpires were gambling in baseball I, I think a lot of old curmudgeons would have an issue with it especially considering a guy like pete rose is banned from the game and guys like shoeless joe jackson are banned from the hall of fame blacklisted from the hall of fame based upon their you know, based upon their ability to, to have integrity with the game itself so with that it's it's a big time letdown and a very scary uh, and a very scary circumstance that the NBA may have to face going forward. And what's interesting is all these things going on in the NBA. When it comes to the referees, when it comes to the two minute reports coming out here over the last couple of weeks, and seeing how basically players have been hand gifted flagrant fouls two days later, or being told that you know five incorrect calls were made in 13 seconds between the Spurs and the old Oklahoma City Thunder, or other circumstances going on where, where really the refs are looking like they're just falling on their faces. And it doesn't take a brain surgeon to check out to see how bad they've been over the last couple of weeks throughout the playoffs. They've just been horrendous. And, you know, what's, what's fascinating is everyone loves Adam Silver for his moral, moralistic standpoint, especially after the whole Donald Sterling thing that happened two years ago. Everyone's in wholehearted support of what he does as a commissioner, at least from a moralistic standpoint. Now, What's fascinating, a lot of people don't like the new commissioner for Major League Baseball. A lot of people haven't liked the commissioner for Major League Baseball since Bud Selig jumped in and did all the changing he did. A lot of people didn't like David Stern because he was more money-driven. A lot of people don't like Gary Bettman because he's just seen as a not a very good commissioner. A lot of people don't like Roger Goodell. Well, what's interesting is that in the NBA, a lot of people like Adam Silver because of his moralistic stance on what Donald Sterling did. Banning, banning immediately. Ban for life. You know, kind of thing. And what what's starting to scare me a little bit is sometimes in the eyes of the beholder, the, the person who, you know, a person who seems like more trustworthy sometimes is someone that you should trust the least. Not that Adam Silver is not trustworthy. What I'm trying to say is there's been no shade thrown on Adam Silver the last couple of years. and there's, there, Obviously, there's none needed to be taken. But this perspective that now the referees have this, conversation piece where 
every two-minute report that comes out for the NBA, I get an update every day about how an NBA official made a mistake uh, the previous game or the previous night or the previous couple of games. Players are getting hand-gifted flagrant fouls. You know, it's, it's almost like per game they're missing a flagrant foul. They're just giving a player a flagrant foul. It's almost like the integrity of the referees has completely gone out the window. And what worries me, and what should worry you if you're an NBA fan, especially if you're listening to the show, is what are the referees doing outside of their free time if they are in these gambling rings of what they're doing? What does it look like on the NBA's perspective? If you want to call in and talk about that, the phone number is 323-642-1558. It bothers me. Now, to, to, to know the extent of what the NBA looks like and how it's looked like the past eh, five, six years since the Tim Donahue thing happened. I mean, I think we all have an idea that the NBA is, is generally geared towards being an entertainment product more than it is towards the fundamentals of the game. Just watch Shaq and the Fool. Just watch James Harden's defense. Just watch how these players play it sometimes, and you can understand why it's more of an entertainment feel. When you see guys having nine-step nine travels or 11-step travels or four- or five-step travels constantly in the NBA, you start to recognize that there is more of an entertainment feel to what's going on but when you hear, you know, from a former referee, now granted not the most credible source in Tim Donahue, say something to the degree he said today where it's like, you know, the refs are kind of given free range to do what they want, a red flag should go up. And for that to be seen as a norm or at least accepted as a norm from, yes, I know, an uncredible source and a guy in Tim Donahue, especially he might have some sour grapes towards his career at, at the NBA level. But for that to be the case and for it not to be nipped in the bud before Adam Silver even came into even came into office, it makes you wonder, do they care? I mean, and, and that's all seriousness. Like, look, you got guys coming into the league making the amount of money that they're making, how high the salary cap is going over the next couple of years. This could potentially be a detriment to the league and the credibility of what's going on on the court. I, I'm not going to run around and freak out and think that this is the end of the NBA. But it's just the facts. And with him coming on the air today, it makes you raise your questions and think, where's the – you know, the moment – it's funny because the moment in the NFL when you hear a guy like Laramie Tunzel who, you know, had his whole bong thing happen and have him talk about Ole Miss and now he was receiving money from coaches, you know, everyone raises a white flag and the NFL instantly goes into a or, – or Ole Miss goes into an investigation mode. The NFL goes into an investigation mode. People go into an investigation mode. Well, the NBA is kind of like, uh, you know, Tim Donahue saying that, you know, guys gamble on the game. Eh, you know, who cares? There's no there's no white flag. There's no red flag. I mean, it's more of a white flag than a red flag. But you know what I'm saying? It's It makes you start to think, what is the integrity of the game starting to look like if a guy just comes in and starts throwing shit at the NBA and saying, oh, you know, no big deal. Guys gamble. That happened in baseball. I can guarantee you people will be protesting the sport with picket, picket signs outside the outside the stadium. On a daily basis. Andrew Norris is not here today. I don't know where he's at. I've been trying to get a hold of him. He's probably busy at work, sleeping, doing something. You know how Andrew Norris is. Andrew's a very busy man. He is a big-time, big-time contributor on the show. And I'm not knocking him and throwing him under the bus. But today is a big-time show from the standpoint of where we're at. And, again, I love him. I love my guy, Andrew. Love him. Love him to death. Need him here, though. Need him here. Uh, if he's busy, totally get it. Totally understand. If he comes on the show late, we'll get him on here. And I'll wholeheartedly apologize to him. I throw him under the bus. Two classics last night in the NBA. Absolutely. Uh, and if you'd like to call in and talk about these games or, or Tim Donahue and his perspective, 323-642-1558 is the number. And last night, again, two unbelievable games. And fascinating enough, 
the Toronto Raptors were up big early on in this ball game against the I no sorry the Miami Heat were up big early on in this ball game against the Toronto Raptors and they really realistically choked away the game late and, and, and multiple perspectives not just because Kyle Lowry hit the game of the night hit the shot of the night obviously the shot that he hit to hit the half court shot to send it into overtime obviously making a big time big time play in that realm but the Miami Heat were up real big in the fourth quarter I mean they were up large at one point and they pretty much choked away the game. I mean, you saw Luol Deng walk out of bounds when it was clearly an air ball prior to the play, and he walked around like it was a normal shot. Guys were losing their focus. Players weren't into the game like they should have been. Um, it was a real fascinating affair. I mean, with about – I mean, think about this. With about three minutes to go in the ball game, Miami was up 83-77. to 77. And the next thing you know, you start to see Toronto slowly start to chip away. Uh, DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry, again, not showing up to the game the way they should. Look, 28 seconds to go. Miami was up 87-81. to 81, And Joe Johnson had just hit two free throws to make it a six-point ball game. At that point, it's a wrap. It should be a wrap. Corey Joseph then gets the ball, layup shot, ties it up, 83-87, four-point game. Okay. Again, Miami gets the ball. They make the free throws. Again, a six-point ball game, 19 seconds to go, 89-83. It's over. I mean, come on, a two-possession ball game, 19 seconds to go. In fact, Toronto misses a three-pointer. Miami gets the ball back, nine seconds to go. Then Ross, and somehow, again, the Miami Heat screw up, and the, the Toronto Raptors get the ball back. That was where – that was where uh, – that was where Luol Deng made his mistake. Terrence Ross, three-pointer in the corner to make it 86-89, six seconds to go. And then the Miami Heat come down the floor. They make another mistake on a, foul, on a, on a loose ball foul. Toronto comes down. They hit, their free, they hit their free throws to make it, you know, they miss one on purpose, obviously. Then Hassan Whiteside goes to the line for some free throws. All he's got to do is hit two free throws and the game is over. He hits, he misses the first one, obviously, big time. And then he hits the second. Kyle Lowry gets the ball, classic moment, literally shoots the ball, I mean, out of range where you can't even see it. It looks like the ball's going to go into the stratosphere, go up, into, go up to the moon. It comes down, lands perfectly in the hoop. Tie ball game, 87, or excuse me, 90 to 90 going into overtime. And then again, Toronto giving themselves life, it looked like. They, they fall flat face on the floor again. Miami stealing game one in overtime, outscoring the, the Raptors 12-6 to in overtime, winning 102-96. to In that game, I mean, this was just Dwayne Wade looking like the classic Dwayne Wade, really vintage Dwayne Wade in this one. 24 points, six rebounds, four assists. Hassan Whiteside, 17 rebounds as well. Uh, three steals from Dwayne Wade. Goran Drogic was out of his mind good. 26 points, six rebounds. They were off. They went off. I mean, really. And without, again, without Chris Bosh, this team, and I said this from the outset, you know, even without a, a healthy Chris Bosh, this team is a team that is Eastern Conference bound. Can they win the Eastern Conference? I don't think so, especially not without Chris Bosh. It's not going to happen. Don't set your sights on it. If it does happen, it'll be one of the biggest upsets in NBA history. Um, but this team, and what's interesting is, is they won based upon 
the downswing of Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry, a horrible game last night. 3 of 13 from the field, 7 points. And funny enough, only 3 of those 7 were the half-court shot. He only really had 4 points in the ballgame. He was nowhere to be seen. DeMar DeRozan, 22 points on 22 shots. 9 of 22 from the field. I mean, 6 rebounds. Okay, you know, cool. But Jonas Valanciunas is the real baller in this ballgame right now for Toronto. If Jonas Valanciunas wasn't absolutely going ham in the paint, 10 of 16 from the field, 24 points, 14 rebounds, 3 assists. Guys, all over the place. I'm telling you, Jonas Valanciunas, keep playing the way you're playing. Just let your backcourt show up. If they showed up and played the way they're supposed to, this Toronto Raptors team should win the ballgame. Look, Dwayne Wade, Goran Rogers combined for 50 points. And they get the victory. And Joe Johnson in some clutch moments, again, 16 points, showing up, giving it all he can, giving this team the opportunity. The Miami Heat take a 1-0 series lead, a big-time, big-time win, stealing home court advantage. Look, if Miami comes out and wins game two, it's a wrap. I mean, they're about to sweep. It's, it's about to be two consecutive sweeps in the Eastern Conference semifinals. And you're going to see the Miami Heat and the Cleveland Cavaliers meet up again. Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, get your popcorn ready. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, get your popcorn ready. Because if you're all right, if all you right, want to see right. instant class, someone's in the building. I think my guy's in the building, unless I just had a random button. I think he's here. Andrew Norris is here. Andrew Norris, what's up, my man? Hey, what was your take from Toronto and Miami last night, a classic in the sixth? Uh, yeah, well, first of all, I think you're talking crazy when you start talking sweep. Uh, the Toronto Raptors team is way too talented to, to start talking sweep. They had they played some bad games in, in these playoffs, and that was the worst game I think they've played, and it still went to OT, uh, albeit off a miracle shot, but, but still. Um, so I don't think it's going to be sweep. I think they win game two. I think they win one of the games in Miami. I still think you're looking at a six- to seven-game series. Um, the game was exciting as all hell. Uh, yeah. I was one of those people who I, and I not, you know, I, not because I'm smart or anything. I just had a feeling they were going to come back when there was like 19 seconds left. And I think the crowd kind of just had that feeling too. Cause when he hit that three with what, 14 seconds left, eight seconds left, something like that. The, the people yeah. who were still there screamed at the top of their lungs. Like we're still here. And then, you know, the turnover happened, missed free throws. Um, and it was it was just really cool to watch. Um, of course, you're still seeing people cry about them if he stepped out of bounds, uh, just because people want to make a, a big deal about officiating now because it's the popular right. thing to do. Um, I'm I'm personally happy they didn't call it because it resulted in a really cool moment. Um, like you said, the ball just just floated, went out of camera view. Um, you. You literally can't shoot a half-court shot. Yeah. Like, the arc that ball had, it's not bouncing out. That might as well be a shot from right inside the three-point line. You're going to get that kind of touch when you shoot it with that kind of arc. And, and it was it was beautiful to watch. The whole thing went in slow motion. It was exciting. Um, now, the Heat really just flexed their veteran muscle uh, in overtime. Dwayne Wade looked fantastic. Joe Johnson looked really good. Luau Dang has looked look good the entire playoffs. Um, you know, they just they just showed that they're a team that knows how to win in the playoffs. Came out, scored eight or six straight points or eight straight points to start overtime, uh, and didn't really look back. You know, the the, the Raptors kind of gave all they could give in that comeback, and you know, it's just 
it's just not enough when you're shooting 22 points on 22 shots or Kyle Lowry has however many points, seven points. Just not enough. Um, and, and the Heat showed that, you know, they're, they are probably the better team in this series. They should be the favorite, um, which they are. Um, but now the Raptors have to come back and say, look, we're still here. Because they lose game two, you're right. The series is over. I still don't think it'll be a sweep, but the series will be over. Um, all, all, all together, a great, great game. Uh, the Rosen and Lowry are embarrassing the city of Toronto, the whole organization, and themselves because they have been a joke three consecutive years in the playoffs. After improving three consecutive years in the regular season, and it's time for them to step up and show how great players play playoff basketball. And the scariest part about this game itself for Toronto is that the Toronto Raptors, I mean, they, I mean, this is what I said coming into the year. Look, their bench needs to step up, and they did. Fortunately, last night in the waning minutes, their bench seriously came through. Corey Joseph was unbelievable. Uh, Terrence Ross hit some clutch shots. Uh, their Bismack Biombo, a couple other players just came off the bench and played unbelievable basketball. They really did. They played great. Terrence Ross, 19 points off the bench. That's what you need from your bench players to at least give your starters a chance. Like you said, unfortunately, Kyle Lowry, seven points. You eliminate the, the half-court shot, four points. Just terrible. Um, and, and DeMar DeRozan not playing well either. I mean, when those guys show up, it's over. Like, when the bench is playing like this for Toronto, they're one of the top – I would say – they're probably a top five team in the NBA when their bench is on and their backcourt is on. They're that good. Um, but when, they're, when their backcourt's not playing well and their bench has to almost carry them and Jonas Valanciunas has to play like a, like, like a beast that he was last night, I mean, that's the only way you can survive. And, and, and they got to do that last night. They found a way to at least survive and push it to overtime late. Uh, and I said it. I said it here, as you heard, Andrew. The choking. I think it was Miami choking down the stretch, not keeping their heads in it. You saw it multiple times. Dwayne Wade pointing towards his head, saying, "You guys gotta, you guys gotta be more focused than that, and understand that this is a, this is not just a regular season game. You know, game 61 of the regular season. This is a, this is the first, first game." of the Eastern Conference semifinals. This is a huge opportunity for them to take it. And fortunately, Dwayne Wade's on that team and showing why he's a – he's a, I wouldn't say first ballot Hall of Famer, but he's a guy yeah, who's he debatably yes, one he of the I, I, I think he is too. I, for some people are going to be crazy and say, ah, he's just the greatest Robin. I think he's first ballot. But for some people, that's for other people. But anyway, the point is, Dwayne Wade, this is why he is a Hall of Fame player right here is because he kept his team in it almost single-handedly down the stretch mentally and was the leader of this team that they needed when they were struggling in the final couple minutes of the ballgame. Andrew, is there anything else you want to say about this game before we move on to the next one? Uh, Not necessarily about the game, but, man, I get more and more hyped to see Dwayne Wade against LeBron James every time I think about it. That's going to be so fun if it happens. It's going to be an amazing amazing series if it does happen, but either way, even if the Raptors go, it's still going to be fun to see a backcourt with the Raptors and also with the way that the Miami Heat have been playing. The game of the night, though, and the way that it was played, and I'm going to tell you, Andrew, again, I'm not a Warrior fan. I'm not. I will sit here and tell you both Andrew and I are not Warrior fans, and what was so fascinating about last night with the Golden State Warriors is without, again, third straight game or fourth straight game without Curry, I forget. It doesn't matter. 
without Curry again last night, game two between the Blazers. Look, the Blazers came out hot. This game reminded me so much of the game between goal, the game two against uh, Oklahoma City and San Antonio. The underdog team came out and played really, really hot. They played really well. And all of a sudden, you started seeing the Warriors say, okay, we're not playing well. Our A game's not on. But we're going to come out and we're going to fundamentally destroy you. And, and what started happening was Damian Lillard, and I'll say this again, Damian Lillard, if you swap Damian Lillard and Steph Curry with one another, you might not see a difference. And you saw it in the third quarter last night. Damian Lillard started popping off. He was on fire, white hot, you name it. He went off in the third quarter. Absolutely incredible. This is why this guy is a bona fide superstar and why he's been – I still don't know how he hasn't made the All-Star game the last two years, but that's for other people to decide, not myself. Either way, the point was the Blazers came out and played great basketball in the first quarter, taking a 34-21 lead, and Damian Lillard was the, was, the, was the catalyst to that. And then also in the second quarter, they held their ground, got into the half, up, tried to do their best. Obviously, the, the Warriors started, started churning back, playing their basketball. You saw Draymond Green take the steps he did. And then the third quarter was when Damian Lillard went off. But the real story to this ballgame and the part where – I mean, I, I, I now have all the respect in the world for the war. I mean, I've always had the respect this whole year has really grown the respect. But this, this game and the way they played in the fourth quarter was, was completely – was almost flawless. I mean, it was a darn near – I watched the, the fourth quarter again for the analysis I'm about to give on why Draymond Green so important. But a 34-12 to 12 fourth quarter and, – and you can say this because this is the truth – the, the, the Warriors did not play great defense at all in the first three quarters, at all. Look, Damian Lillard got hot. He, he did what he did to keep his team in it. And obviously up 11 going into the fourth, 87-76, you could have just stepped back as a Warrior fan and said, okay, we don't have Steph Curry. Damian Lillard's going off. What are we going to do? Obviously our depth's there, but if we're down 11 going into the fourth, there's no point. If we don't, go, if we don't start off well in the fourth, then there's no, there's no problem in, in saying, okay, we don't have Steph, it's okay. Instead, they came out and played some of the best help defense, some of the best team basketball outside of the San Antonio Spurs, as I'm a Spurs fan, but outside of them that I've seen, I mean, really all year long. They, they, they got down, they got dirty, they, they did everything they could, and every single person on that team showed up and played like they were about to make the All-Star game. I'm serious, like – Andre, Andre Iguodala looked unbelievable. Uh, Sean Livingston was making that shot, you said, Andrew, that he just never misses, that 18-foot step-back fadeaway shot that he just always – that little leg flick that he does, he always, almost never seems to miss it. Draymond Green taking the ball off the court. Clay Thompson taking the ball off the court. Everyone was taking the ball off the court. Sean Livingston – and they were just running perfect screens, perfect plays here and there to keep themselves in the game and their defense was what won them, won it for them, and how they got it done down the stretch. I mean, this team is – I mean, look, I, everyone loves Steph Curry, but I'm telling you, and I'm not saying they're better without him because if they would have had him last night, I think they would have definitely played better offensively and definitely would have blown out Portland more than they did. But at the same time, with how this system works and with how frustrating they were in the first three quarters, that system proved true and really shined, I think, at its brightest last night with the way that this team put it all together in the fourth quarter. It was an unbelievable quarter, and the Warriors found a way to win it 110-99 to over the Blazers. 
Andrew, what was your take from this ball game? Get 110-99 when it was an 87-76 ball game going into the fourth, and Damian Lillard was so hot from the field at that time that you thought he was gonna. I thought he was gonna go off for 50. I really did. I thought he was just gonna keep going, and the Warriors just clamped it down. What was your take from this game, Andrew? Well, as we saw earlier this year, that's what it takes for the Trailblazers team to beat the Warriors. Is Damian Lillard going off for 50? Um, but the the only two teams probably in NBA history, maybe three teams, that could lose the potential MVP um, and still be a top two team in the NBA, top three team in the NBA, are probably this year's Warriors, um, any, really any of the 90s Bulls teams, uh, and, and and some of the Showtime Lakers teams. You could have lost one of the two guys and, and been fantastic. Um, and, and it's just amazing to see this team, the way it operates without Steph, because it, it's like it's – and this is no shot to Steph. And I'm not saying he's not important to this team. He, he averaged 30, one of the greatest seasons of all time. But they don't, they don't miss a beat without him, man. Not a no. not a single step. And as Paul Millsap just banked in a half court buzzer beater, um, 35 to 23 to end the first quarter. Jeez, or it's 35 to 20. Cleveland's been making every three point shot, but um, it, it, it's just amazing. I mean, when Draymond Green leads this team. Yeah, and I I don't want to get on this Draymond Green bandwagon. I, I his and hers this morning, Jamel Hill. Oh, you should. That, that Draymond Green is the best all-around player in the league, which is nonsense because there's still a guy named LeBron James. I would take Kawhi Leonard right. over him all around, even though Kawhi Leonard can't really pass. But, you know, these guys who just get forgot of because, I mean, it, you're not the best all-around player in the league when you average 13 points a game. You're not. It's, well, you're not even close. Because because you need that you need to score at least twenty points a game to be the best all around player. Um, now does he make up for it with his passing? Yes, he more than makes up for it. But it's I think it's a pretty simple equation that you have to average twenty points a game to be the best all around player. Um, but the way he can lead a team and the way this team can go because of his style. Now, as far as his passing, we'll look at that. He's not the same type of passer as a uh, the LeBron as a Chris Paul. Chris Paul is more of a true just facilitator, um, can dissect the defense. LeBron is more of a creator with his passes. He can find guys in places that nobody else could. And Draymond Green is more of a flow passer, meaning the things he does causes ebbs and flows in the game that gets him wide open guys. How many times do we see him throw an oop to Andrew Bogut uh, to, to, to Festus Azili? Just off of a – he's driving straight to the bucket, the, the help man comes, and then Andrew Bogut's sitting under the rim wide open. We see it all the time. Um, and it's a complete, not any less important, but a completely different form of passing, as you'll see from the other guys, one you rarely see. It is a much more rare form of passing, and it's hard to defend because it's a five-man thing that, looks, that comes from one guy. Uh, it, it lets the Warriors completely control the game. It lets them slow momentum, speed momentum, do whatever they need because – they have a guy at every position who can change the game. They have a big man at the five who can pass and who can, you know, be physical down low. Uh, at the four, they got Draymond Green who can do everything. He, you know, he's not the best scorer. He can go out and get you 20 on some nights, but he, he, he makes up for it elsewhere with his defense, with his passing, with his IQ. He might be the smartest player in the league. 
they have a, just a corner three-point shooter. Corner three-point shooters can change a game. We all know that. They have an unbelievable streaky, when he gets hot, probably the best on-fire shooter I've ever seen, more so than Steph Curry, more so than Ray Allen. When he gets going, he won't miss no matter the defense. You can literally hand it to him. He shoots the ball the second he touches it and it goes in. We saw a 37-point quarter out of him. And then you have, you know, a top three, four player in the league, possibly, in some people's opinion, the best player in the league in Steph Curry at, at, at the point. The, the team has no weaknesses, and, and without Steph Curry, then you had a six, seven point guard who can't be defended by any of the other point guards who could post you up and hit about 60% of the turnaround jumpers he hits in the post. The, this is the perfect team, and they showed it last night. You can miss a guy. You can miss the best player on your team, and guess what? You're still going to win a playoff series. They, I, I truly believe they take the Spurs to at least six without Steph Curry. I really believe that after watching last night, because this team is phenomenal uh, offensively, defensively. Their IQ, as we've talked about a lot lately with a bunch of teams, their health defense, you yeah. get more and more in the playoffs, they're just always there. Their, their chemistry on and off the court, and off the court chemistry is something you don't want to forget about because it is very important. It leads to on the court chemistry. Okay, we're all humans. That's just how human nature is. Um, you know, it's it, it's an amazing team who made a good team in Portland uh, look like child's play in that fourth quarter. They really did. Um, and it's been amazing to watch this year. Uh, just those things that they have been able to accomplish has been unreal. I mean, unbelievable. It has been, and 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 this is what I wanted to get to before. And and you said, and this and this, what I'm about to do right now for those of you listening, we got about ten minutes left, but I'll, give me about five minutes. What I'm about to do right now is I'm I'm comparing the the fourth quarter that LeBron James had in Game One against Atlanta in the semifinals, and I'm comparing, <coughs> excuse me, and I'm comparing the fourth quarter of last night's game for Draymond Green. Now, now, now. I'm not sitting here when I say these stats and saying Draymond Green is better than LeBron James. Do not get that confused at all in anyone's mind. What I'm trying to do is tell you why why Steph Curry comes to the importance of Draymond Green, how important Draymond Green is. These stats that I have in front of me are all stats when you – it's all based upon eye tests. It's not depth. It's not – you don't need necessarily stats to see it. You just need to use your eyes. Okay. Uh, game one, fourth quarter, Cleveland was up five against against Atlanta, but Atlanta also came back and tied it and even took the lead at points in the fourth quarter, but Cleveland won by 11. Last night, game two between Portland and Golden State, Golden State was down 11, they won by 11. So, both teams winning by 11. Cleveland had 27 overall possessions, 23 of them were non-second chance uh, uh, possessions, which means four of them were second chance of possessions, so 23 of them were ones they, they walked down the court. 26 for Golden State last night uh, were overall possessions. Uh, one of them was a second chance possession, which really wasn't a second chance possession, it was an Andre Iguodala tip and dunk, um, but, but then uh, 25 overall possessions. So here we go, okay. And out of those possessions, uh, out of those overall possessions, uh, Draymond Green had a major – out of the 25 – now, again, there's two more possessions overall than, than Cleveland, so I understand the discrepancy, but it's not by much. All this is doing is comparing. 
Draymond Green had one turnover last night in the fourth quarter, and 16 of those possessions he had significant impacts on, whether it's passing the ball within the system, not just, not just handing it off and seeing what happens. I'm talking about, like, he had the ball, he drove to the hoop and made a pass. Like, let's say you're playing NBA 2K, if you, if you played NBA 2K, and you make the pass and your pass leads to a foul. That's an impact play. Or if your pass leads to, a, obviously, a score, or your pass leads to a hockey assist, or you set a screen and then you get the pass on a, on a play, or you throw it. It's an impact. Draymond Green, out of the 25 possessions they came down the court, he had 16 impact plays, and one of those was a turnover. So, realistically, uh, realistically that was 15 impact plays. Then you have to factor in how many times he brought the ball up. Out of the 25 times the team brought the ball up, Draymond Green brought it up, brought it up seven times. Now, let me compare that to LeBron James in the game one between Atlanta in the fourth quarter. This is the fourth quarter. LeBron James, out of the, out of the 23 possessions, had 15 impact possessions. Two of those were on second, chance, on, on second chance possessions. So when they got the ball back on a rebound, LeBron found a way to make a play. And actually, two of them, both of those plays were significant late in the ballgame. Um, so those were really significant. LeBron set a couple of screens, big-time screens, as he was going. Same with Draymond, did the exact same thing. Uh, and LeBron brought the ball up nine times in the game, in the fourth quarter. And that was mostly late when the, when the Hawks tied it up. Assists, LeBron had two. Draymond Green had three. Steals, LeBron had two major steals in the fourth quarter. LeBron had also five points. Now, two of those five points were, were off a of second-chance points that obviously – were big time and really clinched the game for the for the uh that that was the game really the, the nail in the coffin to make it ninety nine ninety to give LeBron his twenty five points. LeBron did not have a rebound in the fourth quarter. LeBron did not have a block in the fourth quarter. He drew a foul. That was on his and one play to give him three. To, so he got that and one had three and then obviously the two points. The way, he had five points in the fourth quarter. LeBron James, which is if you think about it, five points per quarter is twenty. That's pretty outstanding. Uh, he drew a foul. He had four significantly impactful defensive plays on the defensive side of the court. Ones where he really significantly changed the outcome of where the ball was going, you know, whether it was a steal, a tip play, uh, finding a way to impact what was going on in the paint. He had four of those. He had one personal foul uh, midway through the fourth quarter. That's what happened there. This is just comparing. Draymond Green, three assists. Granted, two of those were were alley-oops. I understand. No steals. Three rebounds, two blocks. He drew three fouls, whether it was on a screen play, whether it was on uh, whether it was taking it to the hoop two times. He had six points. He had a personal foul, and he had five significant defensive plays. And that was and two of those were the block. So when you sit back and you analyze these stats and you look at it from an eye level perspective, Draymond Green is not better than LeBron. I will never say that. I'll never ever ever say that. But what I'm trying to get to to you. As uh, Golden State Warrior fans, for those of you listening, or even if you're just a generic fan, if you hear those stats, and LeBron, out of the 15 impact plays that he had out of the 27 overall, two of those were turnovers. So just looking at it overall from the perspective of Draymond's impact on the team, his impact is gigantic. And if you take him out of this team concept, and many of the plays, like you said, like you said, Andrew, uh, alley-oop plays to guys like Festus and Andrew Bogut. Uh, and then on top of that, you also add in the pack. He, he impacts the floor from the post a lot like LeBron. Now, is he as impactful as LeBron? No, he does not have the moves like LeBron does in the post. Absolutely not. Doesn't even touch him. But from the standpoint of seeing the floor from an odd angle from the post, 
it's it's gifted. It's unique, and it's a part of their system that makes them look great. And 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 he really does do a lot for that team when it comes to the machine of that offense. So when you hear the comparisons late in the game and impactful circumstances in both those games, Draymond Green's fingerprints were all over the ball game, just as almost as much as LeBron's. Now maybe not as impactful because LeBron, I think especially in game one where he was unbelievable from an efficiency standpoint. But Draymond Green had his impact all over the court similarly to LeBron. Now, was it as impactful? That's up for debate. But when you look at it from an eye-level perspective, Draymond Green was just about as impactful as LeBron James in game one. Now, is that to say he's as important? That's up for debate. I'm not, gonna, I'm not here to debate that. I'm just putting out the facts. But I'm telling you, if you're, a, if you're a Warrior fan and you think you need Steph Curry to win ball games, think again. You need your team around everyone to play well. And to be honest, as you were watching the fourth quarter between the Atlanta Hawks and Cleveland Cavaliers game one uh, in the fourth quarter, I'm telling you people, and this is what we said, all of us on the Hoopers Log, we said before the playoffs began, this Cleveland Cavalier team is only getting better. Look, I had to dig as I'm watching to see LeBron impact it the way Draymond does. And it's not because LeBron isn't as good. It's because that Cav team is so much better as a unit now. They don't just go through LeBron. LeBron doesn't walk the ball up the court all the time. Yeah, he walked the ball up nine times in the, in the fourth quarter, but that was only for like a five-minute stretch where he did it for almost eight straight possessions because they were desperate. Outside of that, it was Kyrie driving it up running the offense. It was, it was guys like J.R. Smith a couple of times did it. If you really watch it, this Cavs team overall is a complete unit now. And for people to think that, oh, it's between the Warriors and Spurs, I'm telling you, think again. This Cavs team, as they move forward, they don't need to bank on, on LeBron as much as they did a year ago. And if that's the case, it is a terrifying sight. If you're, a, if you're a Western Conference team coming out of the brutal Western Conference to face a very rested, ready-to-go Cleveland Cavalier team, they're ready to go. They're ready to fire. I watched that fourth quarter. I rewatched it. This, this, this Cavs team is absolutely just, just terrifying, just terrifying from many levels. Well, and LeBron, his impact was, was through the roof again. You want to look at terrifying. They just hit their 11th three of the game with nine minutes left in the second quarter. They're 11 for 16 from three, up 46 to 25 right now. If this team can exactly as good as they're shooting right now, they're, they're the NBA champions. No, exactly. And see, and then, and then the thing is, everyone thinks, and this is the funny part, Andrew, and we all know this. We, we know this on the Hoopers The funny thing about that is, is everyone thinks, oh, they're playing an incompetent Eastern Conference. They're not playing a great Eastern Conference. That's baloney. That's absolute baloney. Did you watch them against the Pistons? That team had the best chance. They they destroyed them. And look, they keep shooting the ball well. And they're about to have 50 points with halfway through the second. Look, this team is on a roll. And if you rewatch the the fourth quarter like I did in game one, this is not just a LeBron-led team anymore. This is a team that can lead from multiple angles a lot like the Warriors, a lot like the Spurs. Look, they're in that stratosphere. And if you're blind enough and you're too media-driven to think that the narrative is all Cleveland Cavaliers and all Western Conference, if it's all Western Conference, you're out of your mind. This Cleveland Cavalier team is on a mission to win a title. Andrew, anything else you want to say before we get off the air? We're out of here, man. Dude, I, I am in absolute awe watching this game right now. I've never seen a team 
play at the level the Cavs are playing at right now. I'm not even joking. This is the best I've ever right. – I'm talking about for like a 15-minute span. This is the best I've ever seen this team play. This is better than I ever saw the Warriors this year. <laughs> you know, they won 73 freaking games. Um, but, you know, I just my normal spiel, go check out the hooperslog.com. Uh, you know, all the previews are up. Calvin is going to do uh, reviews instead of a preview. Um, go check out the YouTube, the Hoopers Log. We're still looking for YouTube personalities. You want to be on YouTube? Uh, you want to kind of have a head start? We don't get a lot of views, but we know how to get them. Uh, we just need somebody who's willing to make videos. LeBron just hit the 13-3 of the first half. The record for a game is 21, guys. Turn this game on. Go watch it. This is absolutely unbelievable. 13 three-pointers in the first half. LeBron three for three. J.R. Smith has four. Dude, this is unreal. Uh, but, uh, other than that, as I say every time, guys, thank you so much for listening and peace. Hey, everybody, thank you again for listening. We're back on same time, same place tomorrow, episode 132 in the book. Enjoy this game. We'll talk about it tomorrow. Peace.